Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We have to recognize this. Your conversion to Christ has to be, I'm submitting to the power of God. I recognize that. Because God looks all throughout the Bible and says, there are a lot of people that are religious, doing the religious thing, but because they don't see my authority and submit to it, they don't have the real God in their mind. This is an election year, and many Christians are praying to see godly change in our country and in our local communities. But no matter what happens at the voting booth, it's important to know that only God can change the direction of our nation, one heart at a time. So today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares describes the incredible transformation described in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35, at the city of Lydda. Now here's Pastor Mike with a message titled, Amazed by God's Power. I wonder if you have ever tried to make a cake or a casserole and ruined it because you left out a key ingredient. I just want to assure you, I've never ruined a cake or a casserole by leaving out a key ingredient. Not a single time. I've never tried to make either of those things, but... uh, I have heard stories and people say, you know, they've ruined uh, something they're trying to make because of one just ingredient, just one thing they've left out. There's one and it just, it ruined the whole thing. That's the point, right? If you want something to turn out, you better include all of the key ingredients. And sadly, there are a lot of Christians that leave out a key ingredient that is ruining lots of things. Matter of fact, there are people in this room whose testimony is ruined. I mean that by the fact that they think they have a testimony and they don't because what has been left out is a key ingredient. They embraced something, but they didn't embrace biblical Christianity because this key ingredient was gone. There are others of you that are real Christians. You've got a real testimony and God lives in your life, but for some reason, because of how you interface with non-Christians, the things that you say to them in hopes to have them be saved, uh, it's, it's inert. It doesn't work. It falls flat because you've left out a key ingredient. It may have been there when you were saved, but it's not there when you're communicating the gospel to people. We need that key ingredient. The key ingredient I'm talking about is uh, related to an attribute of God that may not be explicitly said with its theological term, but it better be a part of what you're presenting to non-Christians. It better be the thing that, that has been clearly and, and, and obviously embraced in your own life when you say you became a Christian. Because if it's not there, I, I guarantee you, it, it's not real. It's not the real thing. We've been studying amazing conversions, and we reach a passage, a very short passage today, in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, and I guarantee you, This ingredient was there, front and center. There's no missing it. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 32. Follow along. We'll just study these four verses this morning real quickly. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, right? He's in Jerusalem. He came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There are Christians there. And he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So this isn't a kid, right? So unlike the congenital birth defects we've seen elsewhere in the Gospels and even in Acts chapters 3 and 4, and we see the paralytic being healed there in Jerusalem. Uh, This guy's been that way for eight years. So maybe he had some terrible injury, maybe fell off of something, maybe it was some onset of some paralysis due to some kind of uh, neurologic issue, but he is now 
bedridden. So he can't get up. He can't walk on his own. You can picture after eight years, the muscles in his legs are all atrophied. He's got little sticks kind of hanging off his body. He can't get around. He's probably dependent on people's you know, welfare, their giving, their charity, their alms. And they all knew this guy, right? He, he's, he's known. He lays around and probably asking for money from people. He's paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. So just that kind of the pattern of Christ in the Gospels where he said, you know, to the paralytic, take up your mat and walk, go, right? You're, you're there, you can't get around. It's like the ancient equivalent of a wheelchair, so to speak. They carried him around a cot, laid him down, bed. They would beg there throughout the day. And it's like, no, make that all up. Now you can do this all on your own and you're healed. I mean, that's a instantaneous, miraculous healing. You can picture like calf muscles that weren't even there, right? There's just barely nothing from the knees down. And all of a sudden now, just a nice, plump, Strong calf muscle, bam, instantly. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon, or Sharon, the surrounding regions there near the plains toward the Mediterranean Sea, they all saw him. I mean, this was big news. They, everyone was like witness to this. They, they get to see it. And they turned to the Lord. Greek word, epistrepo. It's a, it's a synonym to the word repentance, metanoia. They turned to the Lord. They stopped living the life they were living, and they joined the rest of the saints in Lydda, and they became Christians. And it might be that all the residents means, you know, all without distinction, not all without exception, or who knows, maybe we'll get to the kingdom and find out every last person in town turned to Christ. Either way, this city was radically changed because they became Christians. You could look at it this way. Verse 32, Peter goes in and out among them at Jerusalem. He comes down to the saints at Lydda. And then it says, bottom verse 35, they turn to the Lord. Okay, well, there's a bunch in between there. What's in between there? One thing. One thing, Peter goes, says a sentence, and a guy is miraculously healed. Top of verse 35, they all saw it. And they thought, huh, I think we ought to follow that person. We ought to turn to him. We ought to become Christians. We ought to submit ourselves to him. Well, what was it? It was, here it comes, a demonstration of power. Right? That's what it was. And you know what they said? It's not written there, but you can read between the lines. They went, whoa, wow, we need to turn to the Lord. I mean, that's huge. A demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. That's huge. You think about Jesus, you pray in the name or the authority of Jesus. You ought to know how big that is, that Jesus is omnipotent. So I'll put it this way. Number one, you ought to discern the power of God. Discern the power of God. By the way, when Peter did the same miracle in Jerusalem, they dragged him before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, and they said this, by what power do you do this? Right? You just did some remarkable thing. It's a miracle. No one can deny it. Where'd you get that magic? In what name did you do this? What power did you use? Where'd you get the power to do this? And of course, he says the same thing, and he's going to beat them to the punch here so that they have no, no reason to be confused. This is Jesus that does it. We believe that Jesus is all-powerful. We believe he is omnipotent. So, well, if this is so important, you should have helped us memorize that when you trained us to do evangelism. You talk about holiness and justice and love. Well, I did. Right? Matter of fact, anyone who's well-trained in evangelism ought to start where the Bible starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you've learned to do evangelism around here, at least, you've learned we start with this. God is creator. God is creator. And you know what comes with that? Stuff you can't do. <laughs> right? He created everything. Here's how it's put in the Bible. With a word of his power, he spoke things into existence. Real quick, turn to John 1.1. John 1.1. I want us to see that when 
Evangelism is done in the streets of Lydda. It's about a Christ who is presented as all powerful, all powerful. He has all power. Let this just reinvigorate your view of an omnipotent Christ. In the beginning was the word, the expression of the power of God. He is God. That's the whole point of this verse, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the second person of the Godhead, and the word was God. He kept calling himself the son of God, the son of God, the son of God. So the son, this God is triune. He doesn't exist as one person. He exists as one essence in three persons. And the father is omnipotent. Every Jew knew that. But then we need to understand, well, what about the son here? And the son is presented as God himself, sharing all the attributes of divinity. And he has all power. How much power? Well, verse uh, two, he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Therefore, he's the unmade maker, right? Because he's not made. Is anything that was made, right? He made everything. So you're telling me that just like we're supposed to respect the power of the omnipotent God of the Old Testament, now we introduce you to Christ. I need to make sure you understand he is on perfect par with the father. He kept saying that to us. Well, it says in our passage, that they um, saw that power demonstrated. Okay, I, I would like to have that power demonstrated that maybe you, I could do a miracle like Peter and then everyone go, wow, I should turn to the Lord too. Well, you should let everyone see the power of God. And I want you to write this down because that's the goal. Number two, point others to the power of God. And you're going, well, oh, great. When do I get my magic wand to do the magic? So everyone can say, look at the power of God. So what did God do? to somehow parallel the paradigm in this passage, which, hey, I'm going to come to town, talk about Christ. You need to see the power of God and turn to the Lord. How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Here's what the Bible says. Let me turn you, let me give you an example from, from Acts 14 real quick. Acts chapter 14, Paul, Barnabas, they're being hailed as gods and they say, stop. Look at verse 15 of Acts chapter 14. As Paul tries to correct this thinking, he says, look, don't, don't try to sacrifice to us. Don't bow down to us. Don't venerate us. We are also men of like nature with you, right? We're not gods. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things that you do, like bowing down to people, to a living God. Now, here's the first thing, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I hope you see when Job, as we were reading through our daily Bible reading this year, just recently got done with Job, and he's calling God on the carpet and it starts to get really too big for his britches in the book. And God shows up in chapter 38. What does he start doing? Chapter after chapter after chapter. Let's just look at the world I made for just a second. He pummels him by saying, consider the world, consider the earth, consider the animals, consider how this thing works. Did you do any of that? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you? I mean, you're calling me and putting me in the dock, as C.S. Lewis used to say. You're putting me on trial. Um, let's talk about creation. Here's one thing. When we fall off a ladder and become paralyzed, you can't even fix the bottom half of your body. You can't do anything about it, right? We're running to our doctors thinking they know everything. We know a lot of doctors, physicians in our church are good people, but they don't know. I mean, half the time we don't even know why the medicines work the way they do, right? Yeah, they went to medical school. I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're doing the best we can to poke our way through the world and when it comes down to it, this world is created and it's on a par with a kind of design that is just otherworldly. So the first thing I want to do to show the power of God, as Romans chapter one says, is I want to see that the world is speaking to us just by the very nature of being here, that there is a world 
right? There is the heavens, right? And the heaven, and there is earth, and there is a sea, and all the teeming life in it, it is all a testament to God's power. Well, I know how the world got here. I read Wikipedia. Great. Go to the Wikipedia page and try and figure out this whole Big Bang thing real quick. Just figure that. Read about it. Figure out how all the laws of physics and nature, microbiology, all that came to be in this, this infinitesimal, tiny little speck of nothing. And then all of a sudden, we had this explosion. And then all the laws of nature started it. Uh, go ahead. Now, it still leaves us with this. I don't get it. How, do, wh- how when, where, who, what? Right? We, we all have to say, well, just uh, whatever somehow. But that's what we're going to say because of red shifts of radiation in the universe. And just, oh, that's just how it is. Okay, great. Doesn't solve the problem. As philosophers have been saying, and we're not smarter just because we carry around iPhones in our pocket and watch YouTube. Here's the thing. They thought deeply about the fact that there is something here rather than there being nothing here. You got a problem because we walk around, can look in a mirror and say, here's a person. We go out and see mountains and we see oceans and we see the sun, this big ball of fusion up in the air. And, and we say, wow. There's something. Where did it come from? As, as Hebrews 3 says, every house has a builder. The builder of all things is God. You have to at least go back. Even to the secular philosophers who've been saying for millennia, right? There must be an unmoved mover. There must be an uncaused cause who caused all of this. And, and I don't care what you think about astrophysicists. I don't think about microbiology. I don't care what you think about the origins of the universe. You've got to get back to the place where you say, here is something that God is saying loud and clear. I'm powerful because there's something. And that something, once you start looking at it in detail, which Paul goes into next, he, uh, drop down to verse 17. He didn't leave himself without a witness, even though he didn't immediately punish people, which is verse 16. Verse 17 says, he left a witness. What witness did he leave? This world is amazing, right? He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Here's something the world knows. Sometimes the environmentalists know it better than Christians know it, and that is this, that we have a living world a living world, just like your body right now is living. Had a friend die this week, really hard. Think about the reality of the fact that the body might be right there, but his spirit is not there. He's not alive. We have a hard time. Even the four horsemen of the atheists today that go around talking about it, they struggle with this consciousness, with life. Difference between a a dead frog and a living frog. We have a hard time figuring out that principle of life, that life force, that thing that John 1 says is, is the light of life. Where did it come from? What is it? All the cells are there right? Biologically, we have the same thing, but something happens and we have a non-living body. And so it is with the world. The world is living, right? You, you can germinate seeds in the ground. They grow up to be apple trees. We eat the apples. I mean, here is a living planet that the Bible says, according to Psalm 19, is constantly displaying the power of God. And we need to turn people to it. Well, that's not good enough. Here's something else. Jot it down. No time to look at it. Second Peter chapter three says, you know, one of the big powerful things you want to show God's power Besides God himself being called powerful, there's something else he calls powerful, and that is his word. And his word is punctuated by something that is so powerful, and that is predictive prophecy. Second Peter chapter 3 says, don't forget the predictions of the prophets. That's powerful. We went back five years ago, and I came to your house, and I sat down, and I spent an hour telling you everything that was going to happen in the next five years. Not every little thing, every burrito you'd eat or every taco you'd eat, but I just started talking about stuff that would happen. Things that you didn't think, you thought were so implausible. Like I looked forward and I said to you, hey, and by the way, even in 2020, you're going to be going to, you know, Ralph's grocery store with a mask on your face. You're going to what? No. And everyone's going to be wearing them. Be like, I don't believe that. And if I said all those things five years ago and they all came true, including when you got a promotion and who in your family had a baby and that you got a cracked windshield when a rock got 
picked up on the freeway and hit your windshield and that you got it fixed at this particular place. And I gave you all that information. And for five years, I prophesied all these things. I bet you'd say, powerful. You'd say, wow. Okay. Now, I'm not going to come into your neighborhood and do a miracle, or you're not going to do a miracle to prove to your neighbors that Christ is powerful, but you got a book in your hand that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's the reason, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, because it is punctuated by predictive prophecies, and the prophecies are not done yet. If I said, oh, go back to that meeting we had five years ago when I told you all the things were going to happen in the last five years, but then I said, oh, and I had, another, I had chapter two I also gave you, but I didn't let you open it until now. Open it up now. That's the next five years of things. And here's the things that are going to happen in the next five years. If I was batting a thousand in the last five years, and I said, hey, you need to realize this. There's going to be things like in, I don't know, 2024, California's going to have a huge earthquake and fall into the ocean. I'll bet in 2023, you'd be looking to sell your house, right? You'd be like, I should move at least to Arizona. I, I want beachfront property in Yuma. So you'd do something like that. You'd say, I'm going to go there because I believe that the power of this person, which I would say I'm just the prophet, just the mouthpiece, the power of the person giving the information through that prophet must be powerful. I want to show others the power of God. I point them to creation and point them to the way creation works. I point them to the Bible, which by the way, when it says it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the next verse says, and you know what? It lays bare our hearts as we read it. And really, everything is laid bare before God. He sees everything. The one with him we have to do. The one with whom we're going to have to give an account. And, and the point is, this is preparing your friends for what's coming. You've got a book that has power. Show them the Bible. Now he's saying, show them the power I left. The power of creation. power of the fact that there's something rather than nothing. That that something is incredibly designed. And that he gave you a book that's incredibly designed because I wrote it through people. That's huge. And some of us don't even read it. I've heard testimonies this weekend about, yeah, I went to church, didn't expect to study the Bible, came to this church, they made me study the Bible. I've just never thought about that, going to church. Study the Bible. Go get a Bible and walk your neighbors through it and show them the power of the scriptures. Bottom of verse 35 in our passage. What happens? Well, after seeing it, they turn to the Lord. Well, that's pretty good. That's what we want. Matter of fact, I want to think that in my past, I turned to the Lord. Well, I don't think you turn to the Lord unless you recognize the omnipotence of God. And once you did, if you really did, and you're a Christian here today, then I'm going to say this. You need to pray, number three, let's put it this way, for all to submit to God's power. Because that's another way to put turning to the Lord. That's another way to put turning to the Lord is to say, I'm submitting to God's power. That's how Jesus put it. Luke chapter 14, he said, it's like some army, some king coming against you with 20,000 men and you've got 10,000 men. So you've got to concede that he's more powerful than you. And that really is what Christianity feels like. It feels like this. I have to submit to your power. You are more powerful. I met Todd Gates when I was 10 years old at the park. We had a big park league. It was flag football league. And I thought I was hot shot. I came on there. I had these 15 ragtag guys with flags hanging off their waist. And I said, you know, I'm going to be in charge of this thing. I'm going to be the quarterback. I'm going to be in charge. So I, that's what I'm hoping for. Coach said, whoa, wait a minute. Todd steps up. Let me, let me show you what I got. Well, I didn't want Todd to be the quarterback. I want to be the quarterback. Todd could run faster, throw farther, kick far. I mean, so, okay. Coach said, I want Todd. Todd, you're going to be the quarterback. So 10-year-old, I was you know, obviously heartbroken, right? My life was over, right? Todd had to be the quarterback. Now, if I said, I don't recognize your authority or your power, I don't think you're any better than me. I'm going to go to every huddle and I'm going to say, I'm going to give the plays. Matter of fact, every time we start a play, I'm going to go and kick you out of the way and try and get behind the center and I'm going I'm to take the ball. It's not going to work, right? I have to realize 
Todd's like, I finally realize it when I'm about the fifth row up in the stands with my trombone and he's the high school quarterback. That's when I, I realized, I think the coach was right. <laughs> Todd. He did. He became an all-star football player, quarterback. I was really good on the trombone, though. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Here's the thing. We have to recognize this. Your conversion to Christ has to be I'm submitting to the power of God. I recognize that. Because God looks all throughout the Bible and says, there are a lot of people that are religious doing the religious thing, but because they don't see my authority and submit to it, they don't have the real God in their mind. You want a better picture of that? Read the last book of the, of the New Testament, book of Revelation. You want a good picture of that? Read that. And then when you're done with that, go back to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and start reading that one. And you know what you'll find? You'll find the problem of people not understanding the power that is demonstrated in Revelation, the book of Revelation, where God reveals his son and his power, right? In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, it's when they were trying to go about business as usual and they didn't recognize it. And God lays into them. He says in chapter one, hey, if I'm a father, right, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect? You guys are doing your thing. You act like you're my people, but you have no understanding or reflection or concept of my power. He says, my name will be great among the nations. Get out of the way. Oh, that someone would come and shut the gates that you wouldn't, might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I just wish you'd stop singing songs to me because you don't recognize my omnipotence. A missing ingredient? Some of you sit here, you think you're Christians, you're not Christians because you've never really grappled with the omnipotence of the God-man Jesus Christ. Some of you are sharing the gospel and you're sharing it like you're trying to give someone, you know, a reference to some auto mechanic you are presenting people with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you need to understand his omnipotence. That is the ingredient that is key. Holiness, justice, love, all those are key as well. This one though, foundational. It's where the Bible starts. It's where we need to start in our thinking. We need to elevate our view of God. It's one of our values around here to maintain a high view of God. Never stop keeping God in his rightful place and the Lord Jesus Christ in his rightful place. The Spirit's role in your life is to try and do that, to elevate the view of Christ. So as the Bible says, he'll have the name above every name, which the Father's already endowed him with. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I'm praying for that, for your neighborhood, the coworkers, your friends. Let's see more people come to faith in Christ by submitting his authority. You're listening to Focal Point and a lesson titled, City of Lydda, Amazed by God's Power. And don't forget, you can listen to this program or any of our previous messages anytime when you go to focalpointradio.org. You know, no matter what happens in November, the upcoming national election will not save America. Only God can change the direction of our nation, one heart at a time. Our job, as brothers and sisters in Christ who share a heavy burden for the country we love, is to communicate the unfettered truth of God's Word in a manner that is clear, convincing, and bold. God will do the rest. Focal Point is heard on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is accessible worldwide through the Internet and the Focal Point mobile app, so that anyone can freely access clear biblical teaching. And we're able to make these radio broadcasts widely available because the costs are funded by listeners just like you who share our desire to help others hear and understand God's Word. So please donate today by calling 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. 
And this month, to go along with our series called Amazing Conversions, Pastor Mike has selected a helpful resource that highlights some of the stories of transformation in the Bible. It's A.W. Tozer's outstanding book titled, Men Who Met God, Twelve Life-Changing Encounters. And it's our special gift to you when you make a generous financial contribution to support Focal Point this month. Now, you can request the book when you give at focalpointradio.org or when you call 888-320-5885. If you prefer reaching out by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch. When you do, we'll send you a helpful free pamphlet all about the 12 disciples. Let us know you're listening by calling 888-320-5885. Well, that's all for today. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, hoping you'll come back tomorrow for the story of transformation in another city, the city of Joppa. Make plans to join us Wednesday right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.